You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Remember in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the uh, comment Jesus made to the Ephesian church, he said, you've lost your first love, and uh, the one thing he counsels them to do is to go back and do the first things, he says. Do the first things. Uh, I've always uh, felt like that text uh, certainly wasn't talking about going back and getting busy doing works, because that's what they were doing. He was wanting them to go back and reevaluate their love. Reevaluate your roots in Christ. Reevaluate the faith that you claim you have in Jesus Christ. I think it's very appropriate, and I think it's really seriously needful that we oftentimes just spend time reconsidering our own faith. I don't think we should ever make a, a presumption that everything's fine. Uh, I don't have to uh, worry about my wife's faith or anybody else's faith. I don't have to worry about my faith. I'm okay. We all made decisions. And sometimes parents will say, well, my kids made a decision for Christ when they were five years old at at the bed. And I'm I'm like, yeah, really? I've seen your kids. I'm not really sure that's true. On the flip side of that, I've talked to some kids who say, uh, yeah, my my parents uh, have been Christians for a long time. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I've seen your parents. I'm not really sure about their faith. I was at a conference with a bunch of pastors. There were about 75 to 80 pastors and uh, uh, went through that event. And, uh, you know, a 73-year-old pastor at the end of that several days crying his eyes out during a session, interrupting the session and having to stand and just basically interrupted our session and said, I have to confess, I'm not saved. Wow. Sometimes... It's good for us to reevaluate who we are. Uh, Jesus comes on the scene in this text. Uh, right now we were talking about John the Baptist last week, and he's baptizing people, calling them to repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. That's actually what it was called. And so people came repenting their sin and getting baptized. The baptism was uh, John's way of saying, this is a commitment. You're making a public stand uh, that you're repenting of your sin. And uh, he was paving the way for Jesus to come. Preparing hearts, that was his goal, that was his role that he was given by the Lord. And so as he did that, uh, Jesus uh, is approaching and comes to uh, himself be baptized. I can only imagine in John's mind when he sees Jesus coming, uh, just, you know, uh, we read this last week, but uh, he was talking about the one who would be coming. Look at verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I mean, he's saying, uh, you know, slaves back in that day would carry their master's sandals, wash them and carry them sometimes, uh, while the uh, other person went into different places and meetings and so on, and the slave would just be holding the sandals and so they'd stay clean, and then when that person was leaving, put the sandals back on the feet. And what John the Baptist is saying in that text is that he's not worthy to even hold the sandals of Jesus. Uh, in, in the meantime, you have 
Jesus who talks about, Matt, uh, about John the Baptist over in chapter 11. Just a comment he says, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 11, speaking about John the Baptist, he says this, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But then he adds this next phrase, But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is greater than John the Baptist. So uh, there's this uh, interesting uh, idea here that as Jesus comes to be baptized, John really is not wanting to do this, doesn't feel right to do this. And yet Jesus makes a point that once we all come into a relationship with Christ, there's, uh, though, though John is the greatest uh, human that Jesus said uh, that has been born of women, he comes back and says that all of you, and he's talking about those who are following him now, and he says, all of you, the least in the kingdom, are as equally as, as wonderful as John the Baptist. I, I read that thought as we start off today, just talking about our Christian faith, to remind us that that is so powerfully true for us today, because some of us, I think, just really get down on ourselves. We struggle in the Christian life. We fail at times. We get back up. We keep going. Uh, but somewhere along the journey, we still measure ourselves by others, and we often feel so inferior to other saints. And I want to say today, there isn't one person here who follows Jesus who is less in the uh, acceptance of Jesus Christ than anyone else here. The most famous Bible person in this church, I don't even know who that is. We'd all have different names pop up. I want you to know the least in this church who follows Jesus is just the same in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad about that? We're going to see more of why in just a moment. And so uh, Jesus comes in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answers with this statement, Permit it now to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. As we uh, kind of launch into this today, I wanted to take this phrase and sort of unpack it. We must, we must be prepared to engage the enemy, and one of the first things we have to do to engage the enemy is to uh, make sure that we fulfill all righteousness. That, that phrase is just as much for uh, this moment in our scripture as it is for you and I today. I have to fulfill a certain sense of what that means to be righteous uh, in my life. That has to happen in my life for me to have any chance of, of walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, and, and then being prepared for what's coming uh, as we walk this journey. Uh, righteousness is something that brings pleasure to God. He's pleased when we are righteous. He's pleased when you give your life to Him. We talked about that last week. When someone comes to the Lord, a, a saint gives his life to Jesus Christ, there's great joy in heaven, right? And so obviously that's very important to the Lord, that we have a righteous heart. But what about Jesus? Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God incarnate. So why does Jesus need to get baptized? It's always been an age-old question. And uh, I, I want to say that the only way we can sort of explain that is just to uh, remind ourselves why he came. Jesus came to be a servant. He came to uh, become like us. He was made in fashion like us. He, he laid aside his right, his authority, to uh, be the uh, righteous one. And he laid that aside to become sin for us, that he could die on a cross for us. 
And then obviously he rose from the dead and became victorious. But he had to become like us in that sense. And then he came to be, to be baptized to set the stage for a picture of what's going to happen in all of our lives. Uh, I want to say this, that when people were coming to John the Baptist to get baptized, they were thinking more in terms of repentance and cleansing. No one had the image of dying in Christ and rising from the dead, which is what was initiated when Paul wrote about what baptism actually means. That we're, 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 we're proclaiming in baptism something that Jesus is going to teach now that, that John really himself didn't teach. Uh, John said, uh, repent of your sins and uh, be baptized, or we could say be, be washed, uh, 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 cleansed, so that you have the, uh, the righteousness of God. But everyone knew that th- that didn't guarantee that the next day they were still righteous. There still had to be this sense of, of obeying the Lord and walking in holiness and obviously dealing with sins. Jesus Christ came with a whole different kind of baptism. He says repentance uh, is, is his theme, and we're going to talk about that. But obviously, as p- people were baptized, then they were baptized not in, into repentance. They were baptized into faith, which is a whole other thing. I'm baptized in the, in the fact that I'm placing my trust in Jesus who died for me, and he rose from the dead as we come out of the water. That's the symbol as he, we rise to walk in newness of life. So that's a, a difference in the two ideas of baptism here. Our first thing, when we talk about first things, today our first thing is to uh, look at our faith and just evaluate our faith. I want to look at our, its genuineness, I want to look at its, its testimony, and I want to look at how our faith is verified through obedience. Let's take a quick look at this if we can. Uh, first of all, we have uh, just belief. The, we talk about our faith as belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, verses that say that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, uh, you know, you'll be saved. You have these kind of ideas. Uh, but I want to go to uh, the, uh, complete that whole idea into Romans chapter 10. I think Paul does the best job of just identifying what this means to us. I think it's important for us to have this in our minds. Forgive my nose. Many of you can sniff with me. If we all do it at the same time, we won't think about it, all right? One, two, three. Thank you. <laughs> that helps me. Just, just help me there. That's great. Paul... Uh, wants to talk about faith. And so in verse 8, he, he, he reflects on this. Uh, the word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Then he p- unpacks that. He, he defines that. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not, put, will, not, will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm one of those people, I believe if you take any phrase out of those few verses we read, you've messed it up. Because the gospel isn't just about just believing. I want to just uh, clarify here that the demons in hell know exactly who Jesus is and know exactly what he did and knows exactly what he wants from you. So when we casually say, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm a Christian, you're missing a vital part of of this process. Uh, When Paul says this, he says, first of all, there has to be a sense of, uh, of confession. I'm confessing the Lord Jesus. So I'm making a bold statement here that he is, first of all, Lord. 
I already know he died for me, but he's Lord. Uh, that, that's, that's vital to a decision, process, a decision for Christ. He's Lord. Then he says, uh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have to have that part. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes, and confession is made to salvation. But then the last phrase in verse, uh, in verse 13, that last part, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That little verse there uh, actually is probably the most vital part of, of the whole package. Uh, in essence, this isn't just talking about, uh, it, it, there's a one-time event where we confess that He's Lord and we call on Him to save us. I believe in His death, His burial, His resurrection. That's the gospel essence. I believe that what He did for me on the cross, He died for me. Yes, I believe that. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe He is Lord. I believe He is God. Uh, that has to be in your vocabulary about your faith in Him. But there also has to be a continual sense of confessing and calling. It's not just a one-time thing you do and think it's like a magic wand. And I think we're still, there's still confusion about this. Every day I walk this earth, I should be confessing Him as Lord. Every day I walk this earth, I should be calling on Him as my Lord. And that's one of the keys I often look at to see if someone's genuine or not. Because if you gave your life to Christ 30 years ago and you don't have a daily sense of a need to call on him, I'm not sure you believe in him. I don't hear much preached about this, but I am convinced that we must be very careful that we don't so, uh, you know, soft sell this one time shot. Because I can tell you, I know many of you in your own testimonies have had. Uh, many of you written your testimonies down if you joined our church, and I read them off and through. I go back through them again to remind myself, and I know that many of you have made statements of, well, I gave my life to Jesus at this age, but it was really later when I was a teen or later when I actually really got serious about it. And made it. I've read many of those definitions. We have to be very careful that we uh, understand this, that I believe in him. I believe in him because it, it, it has so taken over my life that I constantly confess him as Lord. I constantly call on him. I, I, I verify uh, that I, I, I need him by, based on that. That's, that's the genuineness of faith. When we're seeing ourselves constantly confessing and professing that he is no other than that. That's why James wrote uh, that faith must have evidence. He's not talking about serving and doing. He's talking about the evidence of our lips, the evidence of our desires, uh, the evidence that verifies through my life that I have made a profession for Christ. It still reveals itself because daily I still profess him as my Lord. I still confess him as the one who can do all things, and I need him. I think that's so vital. Uh, there's this idea of being baptized uh, in, in Christ. And now we're, we're looking at being baptized in his death to live as risen people. Uh, and obviously that's so important. So Jesus, of course, made this uh, decision to do this, laid himself down to be baptized. John's like, I don't understand this. Okay, I'll do it. But Jesus says uh, uh, that little statement, this has to be done. We, we must fulfill all righteousness. Uh, let, let me uh, show you uh, uh, something about this. Uh, in Romans 6, if, you, if we are in 11, if you go to Romans 6 for a second and see this. Verses 3 and 4, first of all. Uh, 
Let me read uh, from verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. For how, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So as, as the Lord is getting baptized, he's setting the pace for this new definition of baptism. And uh, all who are going to follow Jesus will have this uh, baptism. Those who uh, Nick and I were talking about, you know, did folks get rebaptized after John's baptism? And I don't see any record of that, except for certain ones that later on didn't seem to uh, know who the Holy Spirit was. There's, there's some record of that. So there's a bit of a mystery here. I, I, like, did the disciples get rebaptized? I don't believe they did. Uh, but I do believe that somehow the Lord uh, uh, took their repentance, their baptism of repentance as the model. And then obviously he's baptized the same way. And uh, so I believe most of the saints who were baptized by John the Baptist, that baptism probably stuck all the way through uh, as people started following Jesus. The, the, the issue was who's going to follow Jesus who was baptized. And I'm sure some who got baptized did not follow Jesus, which means they did not go to heaven. And tap. We don't want any flaws on the recording. <clears throat> the third thing we see here is this the idea of obedience, which verifies this thing of our faith. This is probably the, the nuts and bolts that verifies I'm truly saved. Let me show you. In John 14, uh, Jesus is speaking about uh, obedience in verse 21. And here's what he says. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. You know, we, we, we can't even begin to say, oh, I love Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I follow him. If we're not obeying his commandments, that, that's so critical. But over in chapter 15 of John and verse 14, look what he says. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It really lays it down for us. Uh, the Lord is just saying, if you're following me, if you're going to be somebody who loves me, who, who is going to have a friend relationship with me, then you must do those things that I command you. And obviously, that's so critical for us. So again, Paul wants us to help understand that. And so Paul then, back in Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul comes along and he says in verse 16, Do you not know... That to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. So, in a sense, Jesus in this, this moment of baptism was obeying the Father's will and leading us to understand this is something we all as believers should do. So we have this record in the book of Acts that every believer who then gave their lives to Christ in the book of Acts, which is the uh, story of the church developing and, and uh, growing, uh, as that's happening, every saint who gave their lives to Jesus was then baptized by faith or in faith to, to present themselves as dead in Christ and alive unto Him. A whole new meaning. 
All those who obviously got baptized before Christ died uh, understood now the picture of what has actually happened in their heart. And there was this great uh, sense of joy in the heart as people realized what all this symbolism meant. But the point is that when Jesus says we must fulfill all righteousness, even the Lord is setting the pace. This is how we, uh, you know, obviously place ourselves in favor with the Lord God, is that we then come with this understanding of, of faith. Uh, we come in a, in a right way. We come to him uh, in, in this baptism of, of faith in Christ. We come with obedient hearts. And as we do that, we have this sense of it's leading us into a deeper sense of righteousness as we go along. The day I got saved, the day you gave your lives to Christ, the genuine day you gave your lives to Christ, that was a day when you became righteous in terms of God the Father judging you for sin. Praise the Lord. One time. I gave my life. Jesus died one time on the cross. I put my faith in Him. Now I'll never be judged for my sin by God. I'll never stand before Him as condemned. Right? But we still do have a problem as we live this life with the struggle of the flesh. We still will sin at times. We know that. We can't always control ourselves or yield ourselves. We're oftentimes uh, reverting back to fleshly impulses and so on. And so obedience is the way that Christians then uh, continue to uh, draw on that place of righteousness. And we want to become more righteous in our daily walk, although I'll never be judged for my unrighteous things I do. But I will find myself one day falling short if I don't deal with those unrighteous things as a Christian. And I stand before Jesus, and he hands out rewards for those who were faithful. And those who struggled major in their lives may not receive a reward, but we still will step into heaven. That is, that is such a, an unbelievable place for all of us. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, because I know that doesn't mean I keep sinning. Because I know that I don't continue to, to just sort of do my own thing. That's not the point. And so I want to just draw us to remind ourselves as we look at our faith, do you have a sense, a, a desire to please Jesus? Do you have uh, a desire to, as you walk this walk with Jesus Christ, that he is your Lord, he is your Savior. You're not letting go of that. You're not forgetting that. You're calling on him constantly. You're naming him as your Lord. You're calling on him for the things you need. Because if those things aren't happening, I'm not really sure if you know him. Because those of us who know him know we need that. And it's not like the longer I'm a Christian, the easier it is to live. It's not like the longer I'm a Christian, the less temptation I'm going to have. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. The longer you know him, the more attacks you'll sustain. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But it means that I'm constantly calling on him. So I want to just challenge you with that. Evaluate your faith. Is that, are these symptoms of true faith, genuine faith? Do you have a testimony that's saying, I declare him as Lord, I'm calling on him daily, I need him? Do you have verification by the fact that you desire to obey him because you are following him and you love him? Because you know he loves you. The second thing about uh, this text is we jump into chapter 4, is that we must yield to the Spirit's leading. These are first things. I, I need to make sure my faith is genuine. And then secondly, I must yield to the Spirit's leading. So even in our text, Jesus himself, who's, who's the Son of God, he's, 
He, does he need to follow the Spirit? And the Spirit's leading him to something that's very, very tough. So this, uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Wouldn't you be? Uh, if I fast for uh, surgery, you know, usually what, 24 hours? You have to fast for a surgery after surgery. I don't know about you, but if I can find anything to put in my mouth, I don't care what it is, it goes in. You know, I mean, it doesn't, there's no quality I care about. I just want to stuff my face with a hot dog or something, you know. Can you imagine going 40 days and 40 nights? Moses did this. There's, you know, there's, there's three that did it in the Word of God. Jesus is here doing this. But the fact is that he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And obviously this idea of being able to hear or sense what the Holy Spirit is directing us to do. Now let's, let's keep in mind that, you know, if I can, that the Word of God is in the heart and mind and soul of Jesus. He is the Word incarnate, right? John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he knows the New Testament before it's ever going to be written. He knows what you will need to know to follow him, but he knows this without having a scroll under his arm. So it's unique for him, as he's being led by the Spirit, for us to understand that this relationship with the Lord, with the Spirit, there's actually several verses where he talks about his Spirit. My Spirit will be, you know, he refers to that. So uh, he and the Holy Spirit and the Father are one. So there's not this sense of of, uh, one controlling the other, but there is a yielding here where he in his flesh yields to the Spirit who is with him, and the Spirit then is drawing him to a place And there's a purpose for this. It's called a test. And it's not so much for Jesus to be tested as it is for you and I to understand why he was tested and the ramifications of his testing that applies to us. And I think it's so important that we understand his flesh is tempted and that's all for us, not for him. The fact that he tells us in the word of God that he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin Uh, is something I need to know about him. Because if God was tempted in all points like I am, then at least he understands me. At least he knows what I'm going through. At least he knows what I need in my hour of of trouble. And so obviously this test isn't so much for him, but for us as he takes this on. The Spirit is going to lead him. The Holy Spirit, who is living in all of us as believers in Christ dwelling in us. The Spirit knows your life. So the Spirit knows the stresses in your life. The Holy Spirit knows the difficulties you're going through. The Holy Spirit knows the challenges that you have in your life right now. The Holy Spirit knows the persecutions you've gone through at at work or at school, uh, uh, the intimidations you may have had in some area of your life, temptations that you deal with, heartaches that you've had, uh, you know, all of this, tragedies that maybe you've experienced, But in all of this, the Spirit of God is with us, and He's with us, in this case, as a comforter, right? And He calls us, and I believe this is through God's Word, we'll see in just a moment, but He calls us 
to uh, oftentimes to be alone with God. That's really the model here is he's calling the Lord to get alone now. The Lord's been baptized. I'm sure that there were a lot of people watching this wondering what's happening. And you remember that John talked about him being baptized and there's the one uh, talking to his own disciples. You should follow him and so on. There's, there's a lot of chatter about who Jesus is. So this Holy Spirit leads him away to, to get alone. Uh, to uh, uh, just, you know, obviously to go introspective, to, to uh, spend some, some communion time with God. Uh, we, we don't have any storyline about what he did for 40 days. He didn't just climb a mountain for 40 days. I, I think he got up there in a few days and he spent time up there alone, not eating, but obviously praying and obviously uh, just uh, pouring his heart out and preparing himself for what's going to come. Uh, I, I think there's an, an analogy here for you and I that the Holy Spirit wants us to to see this and, and see this pattern and say, you know, I need to allow myself some time to be alone with God. And the Holy Spirit sometimes may convict us. Have you ever felt that tug in your heart? I just got to get alone. You, you've had those feelings. I just need to get alone. I just need to talk to the Lord. I, I can't have anyone else around me. And you just sense that pressure, that pull to do that. To draw from the strength of the Word of God, to, to deepen our faith. There are many reasons why we need to be alone. And so there's that sense of that. And there's always a reason that we might learn to, and I think as we read out of the scriptures this morning and as we sang, to learn to enjoy Christ Jesus more than life itself. Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit wants you to learn how to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ more than life itself. And the only way I can ever have that in my heart is if I'm alone, uh, just loving on Christ, letting him love on me, uh, emptying my soul in his presence and drawing strength and energy from the Holy Spirit in me, who is uh, the go-between that allows me to have this quiet time with the Lord and to deepen my faith. Because what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after will all depend how I respond to it, will all depend on what I did over here in the quiet time. Sometimes we go to the quiet time when trouble's already come because we wait too long. And when, we're, when we've waited too long and temptations come and oftentimes we might fall or, or cave into certain things and then we, yeah, we rush to the Lord then and we're asking for help, but we could have done that long before and probably had victory in that hour. So he's being prepared for a test. Now, the Lord knew about this test, by the way. He wasn't caught by surprise, but I don't know what my test will be tomorrow, and neither do you. As a silly note, I mean, I, I'm obviously watching the news I, like you do. I'm watching the news. I'm, I'm watching the, what's going to happen. We talked about it in the office this week. Uh, yeah, did you hear about the weather? It's going to really hit hard on Thursday or Friday, whatever. And Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you going to be here in the office tomorrow? I don't know. We'll see. So you're just chattering away, but you're watching that, and then I'm looking at my app on my phone. Uh, okay, at 4 o'clock, it's supposed to start. Well, it started about 3, but it came. You know, it came just like it said. But that freezing rain starts coming down, and it's like, ah, i got to deal with that now. It almost takes you to a dark place. That's when you start eating <laughs> to be happy. And, uh, you know, so Meryl and I are like, OK, we're, we're, go, we're going into camp zone now. We're, this is camp. Uh, you know, we aren't, we're not going to get out tomorrow. So let's let's. Well, what, what do we have for goodies? Nothing. <laughs> this is no fun. 
No sugar? Actually, uh, I have some sugar in my freezer that my brother Jared has given me, so I got into that the, the other night. Thank you, Jared. I don't, he's not in here right now, but uh, it was wonderful. Chocolate-covered peanut butter is always good when you, when you have nothing else. Praise the Lord for that. All right. Notice, uh, I want to read just a little thing about the Holy Spirit, what He's done for me, what He's done for you, what He continues to do for those who are true believers. Listen to this, John 14, 16 and 17. Talking about the Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. In chapter 16, verse 13, it also says, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. I, I want to just highlight that for a moment. The Holy Spirit does not give these weird kind of impulses to us. You know, uh, well, the Spirit spoke to me the other night and told me to uh, go see my Aunt Sally or go see uh, somebody else or go to here and there. You know, I've heard these uh, crazy things that come out of people's mouths sometimes. And I want you to know that's not how the Holy Spirit speaks. And anybody who says that, I I just have to be polite and say uh, uh, they're probably used to hearing voices. It's just that you're not hearing the Holy Spirit's voice. Because very clearly here, this is the Lord Jesus telling us, the Holy Spirit never speaks on his own authority. So he's not going to give any impulse messages to us or any impulse comments. That is made up. He only speaks to us based on on, uh, what he hears from his authority himself, which is the word of God. But whatever he hears, he will speak. If I can say that to you, if you understand that. So the communion with the Holy Spirit always is only through God's Word. It's this, that's why it's called the living Word of God. That's why this Word is that which communicates to us, and the Holy Spirit's job is to then illuminate this Word to our hearts. He helps this Word become alive to us. That's what He does. So... If you get an impulse, I've preached on this before, you've heard me, uh, if you get an impulse from the Lord to maybe, you know, write a letter to somebody, yes, sometimes this happens, a prompting, we call it, and I believe that, yes, you can be prompted, but even the prompting itself can be based on, on at least a, a principle from God's Word. That prompting never stands by itself. If I'm prompted to communicate with someone who I've had in my mind in the past, uh, case in point, I don't see her so I can say it, but last night I was so prompted to call one of our saints here, a senior saint, and uh, say to her, uh, are you buried in your house? Answer, yes. You can't get out. There's no way. I can't even get out of my porch. Okay. I'm going to send a plow over to your house tonight. Don't get scared. They're going to plow your driveway out, and then tomorrow after church I'm going to come dig you out. Uh, and, and that was a prompting from the Lord. But the prompting is based on several things. It's based on the fact that she's a sister in Christ. I also have the awareness of knowing that she's, uh, she can't handle a shovel. She's not strong enough to do that. And she doesn't have any family to come help her. So, that, you know, logic says that that could be a prompting from my own conscience telling me to do that. Okay? I'm not necessarily attributing that to the Holy Spirit. 
But on the other hand, if I can go help her, as she thanked me deeply for even caring about that, but that's also part of the Word of God, that we're to care for the saints, uh, uh, especially for those who cannot care for themselves. We're instructed to do that. So there is a basis, in a sense, for my thinking that that's a necessary thing to do. Are you with me? It might have been the Holy Spirit, but it might have just been my awareness of that problem. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But if the Holy Spirit says, go eat a Twinkie, that's a lie from hell. (laughs) If the Holy Spirit says, uh, you need to date that person who's not a Christian because maybe you can lead them to Christ, that's from hell. If the Holy Spirit says, well, you need to go in that bar so that you can identify with unsaved people and maybe have a beer with them and then tell them about Jesus, that's a lie. There are many applications that I hear about this. We need to understand that communion with the Holy Spirit through God's Word is the only really great source I have of defense against the tempter who's going to come, but also against my own flesh. My flesh is my enemy. Can I say that? Now, I spend a lot of time trying to love this flesh, and so do you. But our flesh is not necessarily our friend, because our flesh wants to dictate how I'm going to think, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, and our flesh oftentimes never goes to a good place. We need to be very careful about that. The third thing, then, which leads into that is this. We must be ready for testing. We must be ready for testing. That idea of fulfilling all righteousness obviously is critical for understanding faith, which gives us that righteousness. Then obviously being led by the Spirit of God is going to keep us in a right place in that righteousness as we listen to Him through His Word. But then we must be then ready for the fact of actual testing because you are going to be tested if you're following Jesus Christ. So here, let's read this very quickly, and uh, we'll see what happens here. He's led by the Spirit. He's, uh, he's hungry now after 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 4, or sorry, verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, uh, let me just add a little component here. The tempter almost always only comes to us after a victory. Uh, the tempter generally only comes to us at our weakest moment. Sometimes our weakest moment is when we're feeling our best. Because when we're feeling our best, our guard comes down. When things are going okay, we sort of slip a little bit. When we've had a victory, we're feeling great about it. We're celebrating the victory. We're, we're, we're not on offense. So uh, this is when he generally chooses to come. It's, it's such a major thing to see here. But he says, if you are the Son of God putting a question mark in to make the Lord question himself. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up also into the holy city, uh, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, 
Well, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, in that scenario, I want to interject how that would be said to us and how we would respond. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, you should be able to have anything that you desire. Since Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you think Satan doesn't know that verse? Do you think he has not thrown that verse out to some believers who are sort of narrow enough that they pick and choose what verses they read, pull them out of context, and the evil one knows how we like to do that? And so he pulls one out of context and breathes that thought into our own minds. But you see, Jesus comes back and says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so immediately we understand that, yeah, I might want certain things. I might desire certain things, but that must be tempered by the fact that, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to let Jesus sustain me and take care of me, not anything else first. So I'm going to consult with him first if something's right or not. Uh, it's Paul that wrote in Philippians 4, that little uh, at the end of Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know, that, that, that doesn't go with our culture today. I've learned that uh, when things aren't going well, I've learned to be content. I'm, I'm so trusting God. I'm content. I don't have to have something else. I and mean, when you go in the store, right before Christmas, you go in the store and uh, all the mad shoppers are out with their kids in the carts and they're screaming for this and that. Little kids, and the, you know, I can't, I, I duck the toy area. I do not go down there. If I see a mom with a little kid going down to the toys, I'm, I'm booking out of there. I go to the clothes or something, you know, I just want to get away. You don't usually hear kids in the, in the clothes section begging for a pair of pants. I've never heard that. Mom, can I please have, except for jeans. I have seen that. Usually those are teenagers. But little kids don't care about clothes. So they're not begging for that. They, they want the thing that they want. They're not content. Our house is full of toys right now. Because Marilyn's, a, you know, she's a, a preschool teacher. She's got toys galore. So when kids, little kids come to our house, all the toys that are in our house come out. Then they open presents and they mix them in with the other toys. And it's like disaster trying to separate them. But there, there, there's never enough. It's a, so, you know, you know how it is when you do presents? You, uh, we do one at a time. Let's watch so-and-so open their presents. So it goes around. And, of course, all the adults are getting really boring gifts. And so the kids are like, when do I get mine? When do I get mine? Just wait a minute. Let, 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 let Poppy open his. And so I'm, like, taking my time. And uh, you just take longer because, you know, the eagerness is there. You just want, so you pull out your gloves or whatever. And it's like, yay, I want my gift, I want my gift. So finally they get a gift. So the, the gift might be a toy. Well, you know, then you're starting to go around again. And literally between the 10 seconds of ripping the paper off, by the time you get to the fourth or fifth person, I want another one, I want another one. 
Sorry, uh, I had to get that out. That that was Christmas. It's now out of me. I've learned to be content. I, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't have to have the latest tech toy. I don't have to have a better car. I don't have to have air conditioning. I don't have to have a nicer home. I don't have to have a three-car garage, although it would be wonderful. I don't have to have certain things that all of us have little things in a list in our head that we wish we could have. And Paul's trying to teach us that, obviously, this is where Satan loves to get in and just throw these things out to us. Well, ask anything in in my name, I will do it. Like he's some kind of magic genie, and that is not going to happen. Because the Lord, in in the completion of his word, is going to say to us, first of all, you know, you don't live by the things you can get. You live by the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. That will sustain you. It doesn't mean you can't have things. It means that before you have things, you have Christ first. I love him more than life. That's where we started this whole thing, right? I love him more than I love the things in life. And I hope that's true. In uh, just a verse or two before that section in Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. That's all you have to do. And then trust him. If you are a believer, here's the second one. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you should be able to do practically anything and not even worry about failure. Satan might add this. uh, What others might call a leap of faith, well, you can call a leap of expectancy. Since according to God's word, you're told that he will give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I was out, I was in, uh, I think, 10th grade, going into 10th grade. A guy that, uh, he's a great Christian guy today, but in his day, he was trouble. I was in the car with him, in the back seat. My brother was in the front. His name was Mike. Mike was, I don't know how Mike's alive except by God's grace. He's actually a pastor today. Go figure. We're driving down this road. Actually, I took Marilyn there uh, the last time we were at my high school grad, and we went down this road. It's been years since I've been down here. It's a side road that crosses two little uh, highways. Back in the day, they were main highways, but today they've been replaced by larger highways. But back in that day, that was the main transportation to go from uh, Michigan City, which is north, through my town, Chesterton, all the way into Gary, Indiana, and Chicago. It was a main drag. It was only a two-lane highway, but always busy. And Mike is going down this back road, approaching Highway 20. That's the road. Uh, there was no stoplight here, just a stop sign. And Mike's like charging across to that intersection. He goes, hold on! (laughs) Didn't even slow down. It took us across. And his cars are going through. We didn't have a crash. I'm thankful that I'm alive today to tell you about that story. But he did this kind of stuff all the time. Always pressing boundaries. Always trying to impress somebody with how bold and courageous he was. 
Uh, one thing he did that I, I, I still laugh about uh, because I didn't like this person, but he took Mr. Lawson, who taught, uh, uh, what's the dead language? Latin. He taught Latin in our, church, in our school. Nobody liked this guy. He, he was just a smart aleck kind of guy, a little, little guy, about this big, and he was just a smart aleck. And Mike, after school, took Mr. Lawson, picked him up, hung him on the door where his coat rack was, and walked out and left him there. Now, we laugh about that, and it was very funny. <laughs> but this is the kind of stuff he did. And anybody who was with him became sort of in league with whatever Mike did. I, I, as I thought about that kind of an a, a example, I think about today just the tendency for us to exceed the boundaries of life. If a voice in your head says, it's okay to speed, you probably need to get there quicker. So pick it up. Let's do this. Uh, if another voice says, uh, you, uh, you need to do this. You need to sort of throw some money out on this, uh, on this idea. It's a bit of a risk, but it'll be okay. Go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, you need to get into that lottery. You need to do that, and uh, maybe you'll win. The more you buy, the more chances you have to win. You have all these things that are stirring up in us to do this. And all the while, you have the evil one sort of in the background, I think, whispering, no problem, no problem, no problem. You know, maybe, and again, I've talked about just the idea of, of making choices in your life that are against the Word of God. Uh, instead of saying no in the heat of the moment to uh, perhaps the temptation for sex or for drugs or for drinking or other things that you're doing, and instead of saying no, you, you just don't want your identity or your, uh, uh, your uh, personality, who you are, your reputation, you don't want that uh, so much to be seen as this goody kind of perfect person because, well, no one will accept me if I'm like that. So you just sort of don't say anything about your faith. You, you kind of just get in there and maybe you just fringe with these people, but you're still there. And somehow as we go through those kind of motions in our life, what we're doing is critically important to us in terms of what we're saying to the Lord about this. We say no problem. God will take care of us. Uh, Satan might even breathe into our heads about the idea you'll never get sick. I mean, why should you ever get sick? Why should you ever suffer? Uh, why should you ever have to go through any of that kind of stuff? Because you know what Jesus said? He said, ask and it will be given to you. He said, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. I mean, and he says, everyone who asks receives. He knows how to take the word out and breathe that into our minds. And so we do things based sometimes on, on actual truths that are in our hearts, taken out of context, that give us a license to press ahead and do some things we should never do. So that's why the Lord answered the way he did here. Because Jesus could have you know, responded in a, in, a, in a more logical way when he's tempted on the pinnacle and just said, uh, I don't need to jump off the pinnacle to do a trick for people. I am God and I know who I am, so I don't need to play the game. But he didn't do that. What he answered was, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And what he's saying that for is for you and I to know what to say when we are often led by other ideas and thoughts to do things that counter who he is. So one scripture verse you can always lock in place is don't ever do something to tempt God. In other words, don't press boundaries. Don't go to the edge of a boundary and think that that's okay with God. Don't presume upon the Lord that you, know, you can sort of uh, take him to the edge of something, then expect him to deliver you out of it. 
I have too many examples of things and uh, stuff up here knowing that that's what sometimes happens. When Mike was driving down that road, crossing Route 20, and I was ducking down in the back seat thinking, this is ridiculous, this is terrible, why, why am I in this car? Uh, Dave Adams, my friend Dave Adams, you know Dave. Dave got saved, he was a student at Tusky Valley. He talks about, in his testimony, his best friend, who, uh, his best friend who was a Christian, took Dave out when Dave wasn't a Christian. And they were driving out on uh, the road going through Bolivar. And they were uh, going way too fast. And this other guy was driving. And they went around a curve, went off the curve, had a major wreck. It was serious. They both came out alive, but it was a major thing. And Dave talks about the fact that after all that happened, Dave later on got saved and found out this guy was a Christian. And Dave went to him and said, how as a Christian could you do that to us? What if we would have died that night? I think, how can a person who claims to follow Jesus take actions and decisions that they might make that jeopardize the lives of people around them or jeopardize the hope of somebody finding Christ by our lifestyle and decisions and think that somehow that God will eventually bail us out of this. It's okay to sort of play in two worlds. It's okay to be a Christian on Sunday and maybe live like hell on Thursday and it'll be okay. I'll be forgiven. Blah, blah, blah. And it's not okay. The third one's this one. Again, this is the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. It's verse 8. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. I'll give you whatever you desire. Just deny yourself, is what he's saying, and worship me. I thought about this long and hard. But this, uh, this is whispered into the minds of believers all the time. To, uh, obviously, for us to do certain things that really are not approvable by God. But what I want to highlight is, is that I don't know if we understand that when we choose to do something that's wrong... Whatever it might be, and usually we know if it is, but whatever we press in to do, we probably don't think like this, but anytime I choose to do something that's wrong, I am by that choice and by my actions denying Christ. If I deliberately decide to do something that I know is not pleasing to him, then in doing that or even thinking about wanting to do that, I am denying him. The, 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 the second thing to add to that is I'm actually in those decisions giving homage, worship to the evil one. Do we ever realize that? So when I press ahead and I lose my temper about something, I'm mad about something, in a sense I'm, I'm really not relying on Christ at all. If I, if I uh, decide to... Uh, sample something, do something that I know uh, Jesus probably wouldn't really want me to do this, but I, I think it'll be okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, that, as soon as I do that, I'm stepping into the zone of I, I'm paying homage to the world around me, which is really his territory, not the Lord's. 
And that is deadly stuff that happens to us. So if I press in a wrong relationship, and I know it's not the right thing to do, but I do it anyway. If I take a shortcut in life, cheating, taking advantage of somebody, stealing, but maybe it's something so small that no one will care kind of idea. Anything that, that uh, you know, might press against my uh, who I am in a crowd and so on, as I said earlier. So any, anything like that, if I just simply don't acknowledge Jesus, really by the fact of not acknowledging him in a moment, I am absolutely denying him. So the Lord answers with this statement, away with you, Satan, because anytime you're thinking like that, it's hell that's leading you to do that. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It's taking us full circle back to who's in charge of your life? Who are you most in love with? Who is more important to you than life itself? And it should be Jesus Christ. Since we're going to be engaging the enemy, we must fulfill all righteousness. But my belief, my baptism, my being obedient uh, to Christ and his word has to be a vital thing. I must yield to the spirits leading in my life, his will, not mine. And I must be prepared for the tempter. That uh, verse we all know out of Psalm 119, God's word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Uh, I want to say that his word is the only word that will ever keep us from sin. We know that from that same uh, chapter. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I trust that somehow we would recognize that as Jesus sets the pace here for first things, these are some first things that are absolutely necessary for us to walk this walk and be faithful to him through the journey. And uh, all of us need to be careful of that because uh, these things are going to happen. Jesus faced that temptation so I would know how to draw from him in the moment. And uh, some of you have fallen, maybe seriously fallen in the last few weeks. And the Lord knows that, but the Lord also wants you to repent, come back to him, confess. But then the Lord wants you to reevaluate that choice to follow him. Is it real? Is it genuine? Let's make sure it is. Lord, as we uh, read your word and are challenged by your modeling for us, Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us most of all, Lord, to fall in love with you. And that can only happen as we spend time with you alone. I I ask that you'll draw those who have maybe messed up, failed, fallen short, lost their focus, allowed the flesh to dictate that you would allow that person, Lord, to grieve in their heart that they have hurt you. If they're a true follower, that they would call you Lord and cling to you right now and ask for your mercy and forgiveness and join you again in following you, committed to you. I I just ask you'll do a work in the hearts of those who have had something like that in their life and to not listen to any other voice but the voice of Jesus Christ. We praise you today for your word. Uh, Help us to love your word, to want to read your word, to live by your word. And we ask you'll strengthen us for the journey and give us that strength through the testing that we know will come. Because we must know where we're at in terms of our walk with you. We give praise to Jesus today. Ask your blessing. 
especially on those who couldn't be here today, Lord. May your mercy be upon them. And uh, Lord, call us to yourself. Walk with us today and tomorrow. We give all the praise to you for who we are in Christ's name. Amen.